Our scripture reading today comes from Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 33. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we go, I guess. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, one of those passages that makes pastors question their professional choices. Um, but seriously, this is uh, one of those difficult but necessary things that the Bible forces us to do, especially those of us who cling to it for guidance and for hope in this life. What it does is it forces us to address topics and conversations that we would probably otherwise avoid because they are awkward or difficult or painful or downright confusing. And as you listened to that passage being read, you may have experienced some or all of those feelings. And to be sure, if you've been around the church for a long time or you've kind of, you pay attention to church things, Ephesians 5 uh, and passages similar to it throughout the New Testament have been used to hurt or abuse others, especially women. So there's baggage here. And perhaps some of you find yourselves in disappointing marriages as we read this passage or dying marriages. Some of us perhaps have felt the wounds of divorce. Some of us perhaps have received painful wounds in marriage or have caused painful wounds. And perhaps you find yourself this morning grieving the death of a spouse whom you miss terribly, and this passage brings those feelings up. Or you grieve the spouse that never was, and you're frustrated in singleness. Or you're happy in your singleness, maybe especially on a Sunday like today. It's like, phew, okay, I don't know. Maybe your primary experience with marriage was watching your parents uh, struggle in their marriage, and it was broken and messy and something totally undesirable to you. And whatever we're all experiencing personally as we think about marriage in our lives, 
add to that our cultural moment that we find ourselves in. A moment where marriage is no longer an honored institution, but is increasingly, and I think we all feel this, it's increasingly a transactional agreement to be broken when we aren't happy anymore. We find ourselves in a moment where we're questioning maleness and femaleness in general, and on and on that list could go. And into all of that, our personal experience, our cultural moment, here comes Paul in Ephesians 5. And here's what worries me, here's what concerns me. If, if we aren't careful, all of that baggage will threaten to drown out what God wants to say to us today. So my question is, are we willing to hear from him? Are we willing to give God a chance to speak into all of this? What marriage is really for? Who is it really for? Is it about me? Is it about my desires and my rights? Or is it about something else? And perhaps most importantly, does God have good news for us today about marriage? Is this good news for us? And how is it good news? So if we remember one thing today, I want it to be this. Here, I think, is what God is trying to say to his people today. Married, single, happy, sad. Marriage is a story that's not about you, and that is good news. Marriage is a story that's not about you, and that is good news. So as we dive in here, I want to start by praying together one more time. Let's ask for God's help, and I actually want us to participate together in this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm just going to give you some simple prayer prompts uh, as we pray together. So if you would, bow your heads. Let's open our hearts and pray. First, pray for yourself, married, single, male, female, that you would be receptive to what God has for you today in his word. Now pray for the people sitting around you. It might be a spouse, a friend, a child, a stranger you don't know, that they would receive what they need as well. Now pray for me too, that God would help me to accurately explain his word with grace and gentleness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it's helpful as we start this conversation to frame big picture, what is marriage in the Bible? How are we to approach this idea? So bear with me here, okay? My daughter, Avery, is really into theater, especially musical theater. She loves it adores it. And what truly amazes me at every show, how the actors and the set designers and the music and the lighting technicians, all of that, when all of that comes together, how they are able to convince an audience to get lost in a story. The best theater, right, is able to convince you to get lost in a story. And it's really amazing because if you think about it, when you're watching a show, you're literally just sitting in a room full of other people, and you're staring at what truly amounts to an empty box with people running around and singing and dancing and talking, all of that, and you're moved by it. 
You can't help it. And it's almost never perfect, right? I mean, every show has a slip up or the lights don't come on when they're supposed to or whatever. But almost imperceptibly, we find that we are lost in a story, that we resonate with the characters, and at its best, we find ourselves truly caring what happens to them. We're enchanted by it. Marriage is supposed to be like that. That is what Paul is teaching us this morning. Marriage is a story that is ultimately not about us. In the same way that a show needs actors, but it's not about them. It's about the director. It's about the storyteller. Marriage is a lived, embodied show about the romance between God and his people forever. That's what marriage is in the Bible. Every marriage is meant to reenact the love Jesus has for his church and the way his bride responds back to him. So just listen here to Ephesians 5.31 again. Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So if you're married, your marriage is not about you. It's not about your needs and desires. Marriage is about Jesus and his bride. And we are meant to tell and retell that story and how we interact in our marriages. And I know that seems really lofty. It does. You may hear that and think and look over at your spouse and say, me and him? Her and me? On this rinky-dink stage with half-remembered lines and off-kilter lighting cues in the midst of real conflict and personal brokenness and failures all along the way, we're supposed to be a divine romance story. And the answer is yes. Yes, you are. And the more we practice at this, the better we will get. The more we live into the cosmic story that marriage is supposed to be, the better our actual marriages will become. And that is good news. That's good news for us. Okay, so what are these, the elements of the story that we tell? If you haven't yet, turn to Ephesians 5. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 5. Starting in verse 21, I want us to take a look together. So first, one of the first elements we see of the story we tell in our marriages is that it is a subversive story that we tell. Marriage is a subversive story, meaning countercultural. It stands out both then when it was written and now. So first century, 21st century. Notice as well that God expects, I want to I frame this conversation well, God expects husbands and wives to each submit to one another. He, he actually said that first. So before verse 22, a word to wives, he says this in verse 21 to everyone he's about to address, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's going to address a lot of different people here in Ephesians 5, but he starts by saying, submit to one another. And husbands and wives are both expected to love one another and respect one another and sacrifice for each other. So we're all called to submit and to sacrifice and to love and to respect. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian, how we interact with one another. So don't forget that. That's really important. Yet Paul doesn't say that we're all just the same either. He does not say, nor does the Bible teach, that husbands and wives or males and females are just interchangeable or irrelevant categories. 
which raises a lot of questions maybe for you, depending on your background coming in here. Questions like, well, what about gender identity? This is a huge question for us culturally right now. Well, this is why we have Dr. Julia Sadusky coming to join us tomorrow night right here at the Leewood campus. We're not going to get into this question here, but if you haven't signed up for this event, there may still be room, okay? We are capping it for space reasons, but there may still be room. If you go to our website, you can find this graphic right on our homepage. You can click and register. Let us know that you're coming because we all need to learn on this category. Gender matters biblically. It does. But how do we navigate this conversation with love? It's a part of our calling as Christians. Or maybe you're asking, how do we live this out within our own church family around gender? The, the fact that we have women who are pastors and preachers at Christ's community and teachers, but only men serve as elders. Like, how did we get there on that conversation? Well, through our understanding of Scripture. And this is why we've recently updated and rewritten our paper on this very topic as a church. And you can find that on our website. You should have received a video uh, explaining the why and the how behind that paper a few weeks ago for more context. So while those are really important questions that, that we're wrestling through together as a family, Paul wants us here to focus on how are we all called to submission, sacrifice, love, and respect. But in particular, maybe what you're asking is why does Paul specifically tell wives to submit and respect and husbands to love and sacrifice? And here's the deal. It's because he wants us to tell this story in our marriages. Again, marriage is not about you. It's about telling God's story. And it's subversive. What Paul says here, believe it or not, is actually incredibly subversive in the first century. It's amazing how when we put our first century lenses on, this text kind of changes. In the first century, there are several examples of what scholars call household codes, okay? So thinkers and writers of the day in the first century, like Aristotle, that may be a name you know, would write rules and wisdom sayings around ancient Greco-Roman homes. How is the home supposed to operate? Scholars, again, called those household codes. They would write about marriage and children and slaves and masters. That's our next sermon, so pray for that already. Paul does something similar here in Ephesians, but he flips the culture on its head. So if we find ourselves mad or offended or confused by what Paul says here, get in line. Because the original readers would have been as, as well, just in different ways. Timothy Gombas is a, is a scholar of Ephesians and Pauline literature. He puts it this way. He says, Paul's instruction, therefore, is radically subversive. Where there are hierarchical relationships, Paul addresses the subordinate members first giving them unprecedented dignity. They are full and equal participants in the people of God. In contemporary visions of ancient society, these members are not addressed. They appear only as objects of control by the patriarch. But among God's new people, there's no place for control, domination, manipulation, or exploitation. Rather, mutual respect and service is to be the norm. Let me translate that for you. So in these household codes, especially outside of Scripture, like Aristotle, women were never even addressed. They were written to men. They would say something like, husbands, make sure your wives submit and obey. So submit to you and obey you. 
Not only does Paul address women, he addresses them first, which in the ancient mindset was a place of honor. And he says to them in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I know passages like that, phrases like submission, those can make us feel uncomfortable. But we have to remember how radical this was at the time. Paul is calling wives to voluntary submission. It's not forced, it's not coerced, it's not a domineering, abusive husband. That is not biblical submission. If you're in a relationship like that and your husband demands that you submit, that is evil and we want to help you. Seriously, come talk to us if that describes your experience. Or talk to someone in your life whom you trust to give you resources there. And husbands, let me say, if that describes you, You have no idea the story God wants to tell through your marriage. You are actively telling lies about Jesus and how you treat your wife. And that is not okay. And you need help too. And I pray that you seek it before it's too late. Because the other piece of this that is so subversive is that Paul's main focus here is not the wife's conduct in marriage. It is the husband's. You'll notice Paul has much more to say about how men treat their wives than about how women treat their husbands. Look at verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, even in the metaphor Paul uses here, he is being subversive. He says, the husband is the head of the wife. You probably picked up on that. The husband is the head of the wife which sounds authoritarian to our modern ears. That sounds like an authority, right? Maybe even demeaning. But notice what Paul tells the head to do. He tells the head to die, to sacrifice for the body. And scholar Michelle Lee Barnwell, she writes, the fundamental nature of the reversal is critical. It would have struck Paul's audience not only as odd, but even more so against nature. The sacrifice of the head would be suicidal for the entire body. He's flipping this metaphor, right? If you're being attacked, what do you do? You you put your hands over your head, right? Your head is the first thing you protect. Without the head, the body dies. So Paul flips this metaphor, well, you know, on his head. He flips the metaphor on his head. The head's job now, because of Jesus, is not to protect itself but to protect the body, the wife, which makes no worldly sense, but it makes all the sense in the world to Jesus because that's what Jesus did. He sacrificed himself for us. And back then, husbands were not even expected to necessarily love their wives. 
And the word for love here doesn't simply mean kind of warm, romantic feelings. It's a committed love. It is to put someone else's well-being ahead of your own. And Paul says to husbands, love your wife like Jesus loves us. I can think of no higher calling to love than that. And it's subversive, even today, because Jesus is subversive. Our king came to serve, our head came to die, our God came to love, and our marriages must tell that same story. It's a subversive story, and it's a sacrificial one. That's Paul's second idea here. He says, husbands, your job is to die for your wife and to do that every day. That's your job. Not to be served, but to serve. And the result should be that our wives feel cherished and appreciated and adored and affirmed and respected and loved. And if that's not the result, we got to look at the script again. We're not playing our part. Because husbands, in this stage production, you have the responsibility to play the part of Jesus. And if that makes you arrogant or self-serving or domineering, you have no idea who Jesus is. You're the one who gives up heaven to die on a cross. That's our role. That's our part. So don't forget your responsibility. That's Paul's intent here. He says, husbands, you have a high calling. And wives respond accordingly. That's your responsibility in this play. You, get, you play the part of God's beloved who is so cherished and safe and protected and desired that you delight to respond gently and respectfully and lovingly to your husband. That's what this biblical idea of submission means. It is a voluntary deferral of your own rights. It's a delightful yielding of your own desires while your husband sacrifices for you. It's an ecosystem, submission and sacrifice. It's like a dance. When you really know how to dance, it's not about who's leading the other. Nobody cares who's in charge. Yet the dancers have to submit and sacrifice, but there's a delight that you find in that dance. And remember with me that marriage has been marked by sacrifice from the very beginning. Even before the world fell apart in Genesis chapter 3, the very first wedding, remember with me, the husband's side is pierced to give life to his wife Eve. Remember that. And in the final wedding, Jesus' side is pierced to give life to his bride, the church. We're just playing our part in a story that's as old as creation itself. And from the beginning, there's always been a little death in marriage. Leslie Note from Parks and Rec gets it right. She says, every time a couple gets married, two single people die. (laughs) Right? There's always a little sacrifice in marriage. If either partner is in the marriage primarily to get what they want, it will be a disaster. It will not work. It's not designed to do that. But if you focus on each other and you remind yourself that this marriage isn't really about you anyway, but about him, now there's room for joy. 
Now, maybe some of you are feeling disappointed as I, as I say these things, like, I've tried that, but my spouse is not responding. My spouse isn't sacrificing, or isn't available, or isn't respectful, or isn't humble. And I want to say, I'm sorry. And if you're stuck in a marriage that feels like you're doing all the sacrificing or all the submitting, that's brutal. And I want to be clear, it's never loving to allow someone to keep sinning against you. That is not what the Bible asks of you, and we all need appropriate boundaries, and some of us need help, some of us need counseling. And again, if you find yourself in an abusive marriage, where not only do you keep giving, but you're forced to keep giving, that's not okay. And we want to help you with that. We want to be a resource for you. But for most of us, we just have to learn to dance. We just have to learn to dance. And occasionally that, mean, that will mean stepping on each other's toes. But the best, the, the couples who are the best at this, from my, from my observation, who are the best at the sacrificing and the submitting and the loving and the respecting, they don't even know they're doing it. They're not even conscious of it. They aren't focused on the steps. What are they focused on? Each other. Or to put it another way, the best marriages never have to say, it's time to sacrifice and it's time to submit. And when failures happen, which they will, they repair well, they repair lovingly and patiently and gently. They get back in position and they keep dancing. They keep pointing one another to the grace and love of Jesus and how they love and forgive each other. And as we do that, we will find that we are telling an incredible story. It's a subversive story. It's a sacrificial story. And it's good news. It's a good news story. Your marriage isn't about you, and that's the best news in the world, because all of the truly best things in life are not about us. They are about something much bigger, much larger. Your marriage is actually about the greatest love story of all time. God is the husband of his people. Even though we run from him, and we hide from him, and we hurt him, and we betray him, he never stops pursuing us and sacrificing for us, and cherishing us, and loving us. Never, ever, ever. You in this room, when you put your faith in Jesus, are God's beloved. That's the story. And that's good news for everyone here. It's good news if you're single. Whether you're single by choice or by circumstance. What this marriage story tells you is that you don't need a human spouse to be a whole person. You don't. You have a spouse, the only spouse who will never leave you, and the only marriage that will last forever. Jesus is already your husband. He's already walked down the aisle for you. He's already sacrificed everything for you. And this is good news if you're married too, even if you find yourself in a bad marriage, a disappointing marriage. And listen, I've been in enough conversations to know that being in a hard marriage is very difficult. It's very, very difficult. I don't mean to make light of that. But Jesus is there with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. 
And remember with me, Jesus can take even the deadest of things, the driest and the dullest, and he can make them alive again. He has that power. There is grace for today in the parts that we play. And even if you are here and you are blessed to be in a good marriage, that is good news too. Because this story is a reminder that it's just a play. It will not be perfect. We will trip and stumble. We'll forget our lines. And at some point, even on the best of human marriages, the curtains will close. They will. And as painful as that is, to lose a loving spouse, it is not the end of the story. It is only the beginning of a wedding planned from the foundations of the world. It is only the beginning of a marriage of perfect love and sacrifice. It is only the beginning of a honeymoon that will not end, a spouse who never fails, and a love that never dies. And that, in the midst of our struggles and our questions and our failures and our doubts, that's good news. Let's pray to him now. Father, attune our hearts, married, single, happy, disappointed, scared, confused, tune our hearts to you. Remind us that wherever we find ourselves today, even if we're struggling with everything we're hearing this morning, that we can trust it is good news from you because Jesus is our good husband who will never leave us or forsake us. We pray all these things in his powerful name. Amen. Amen.